welcome to Tilt Talk Radio. Today we're going to have some more burning questions from the field. In our spotlight, we'll look at GDUs, where we're at for this time of year. Ag History Minute, we'll talk a little bit about the history of beer. And we'll wrap things up with our cool beans, that's corny, and some current events. With me today are Bill Schombert. Hey guys. Max Garvey. What's up everybody? Todd Schombert. Hey to all the Tilties out there. I'm Matt Brueger, all with Tilth Agronomy. Some of you, I know Max said he did. Any, anybody else have some John Deere Bush Light? Nope. No John Deere beer yet. No. Does did it you, taste different, Max? It tastes like... Um, it tastes like death. No, it tastes, <laughs> it tastes like Bush Light. Death. Yeah, can you pour it in <laughs> the death tank? Pour it in the death tank. I thought you said death, not death. It oh, does not oh. taste like either of them, for the record. No, D-E-F. No, it tastes like uh, tastes like bush light. Could you run your deer on deer beer? Like, I I feel like that would be a really expensive experiment. Yeah, yes, either way, whether it works or not, because price per can versus gallon, I don't know that you're really saving much that way. Even at five dollar diesel, it's still cheaper to run the. It is weird tide. being like a twenty dollar bush light case. Like I don't know when that went up from. It's ridiculous, it's isn't it? Eighteen to like. It's ridiculous. It is a thirty pack, so you, it's making my mortgage hard to afford. <laughs> that extra four bucks a case really adds up. Yeah, I saw somebody posted a picture. I'm in a Facebook group that is all about bushlight, and uh, somebody posted a picture of a. They found a newspaper in their house. It was from like I don't know how long ago, but it was a twelve pack for six dollars. And I thought, man, <laughs> that'd be something. Did you? Uh, did you guys all watch that? Uh, video I sent you of yep. the proper way to drink John yes, Deere. Yes, I did. Light. The case yeah. of it. Yeah, we talked about it last week a little bit. The case, crushing the case. Yep. Yeah. Yeah. Case track tractor driving over a case of John Deere Bush Light. I didn't know the popularity. I got a map up to show you guys, but like the whole Midwest is like Bush Light, Miller Light, and then like Iowa is. Bush Light, like hardcore. I didn't realize how big Iowa was in. So and pretty good chunk of Nebraska too. Yeah, that, that's Southern Iowa, right? Yeah, <laughs> connected. And then it kind of makes sense, like East Coast to kind of southern south of the Midwest is all Bud Light and Coors Light on the West Coast, sort of. So that makes sense. But Colorado is like, just hammered with the old Coors. So you think, like Southern Nevada. It's a bunch of transplants from the Midwest, being that it's... It's like one blip of... One big blip, or from the south, I should say, of one bi- blip of Bud Light in a sea of Coors. But it, even that, the chart has Bush Light slash Miller Light in a spot was interesting. I just would have thought Wisconsin would have been all Miller Light, but there's a lot of Bush Light drinkers, too, in Wisconsin. And it seems like... Bud Light guys will drink Bush Light, and like Miller guys will drink Bush Light. So right. it's kind of that good, like party beer that you don't feel weird. Like, oh man, these guys are going to be weird because they want Miller Light or Bud Light. It's it just like anybody drink it. So now that it's got John Deere on it, I don't know if that'll make it a little bit more polarizing that certain people won't grab a Bush Light. When in doubt, have a Hams. What surprises me is how much of like basically west of the Mississippi is unknown, like what their preferred light beer is. All of Colorado, Utah, Idaho, Montana, well, half the Dakotas. Utah probably does not have much 
What? It, well, what are okay, you talking in, about? In the way they tracked this was by tweets about oh, okay. beer. Right. So that's how the... We must tweet a lot about the, beer the in the Midwest. The data of like, what, what the popular... Yeah, tweets about most popular light beers. So, yes, the, the either they're not tweeting enough or they just... Maybe they tweet about... Normal, I'm like sure heavy beers. Reading about other stuff, yes. IPAs. Budweiser, Budweiser. Of course, Utah is in there, and they don't drink, do they? I have no idea. Yeah, I'm not sure how that works with Mormons if they they can drink or. On this episode of Tilt Talk Radio, <laughs> yeah. we dissect Mormons. They can't have caffeinated. I beer? mean, what do you think of communion and stuff? Communion wine—that's a religious thing. Yeah, like so. Do they just not drink as much? I seem to seem to remember there being a thing about the pack, like a Packer bar in Utah, and it was just like limit. The limit was weird. It was like couldn't have more than two beers or something like that. Or not, not. It was. Did Wisconsin play Utah like a couple years yep. ago or something? Yep, we yeah. drank them out of everything. Yeah, that, in Provo that's what it was. Yeah, Bas- yep. basically what I've learned so far is that if you leave Wisconsin. Uh, the drinking like laws and amount you can buy and when you can buy alcohol are very different. We're very uh, and open, and yet it's also surprising. Like we don't have drive-through liquor stores like some other states do, like where you can just literally drive up and get liquor. There's a couple up north. There's definitely a couple up north. Like, well, I think it's Florida was the big one for that. They had like a whole bunch of those. Stores. But it's weird, like, if you go to, like, Minnesota, I think you can't buy alcohol on Sunday. Really? Yeah, I think it's Minnesota. They would have that. I know down south, like, in the Bible Belt, there's a lot of, like, you can't buy it Saturday or Sunday, and you can't buy it after 5 p.m. Well, you get in Tennessee, there's dry counties. Yeah. Which clearly they're not taking into account for on this particular map, because pretty much all the south, except for this weird blip around... The Louisiana Arkansas border. What I think is weird about beer is three point two percent beer. Like how some states have that lower oh, yeah. alcohol beer. Like sure. that's weird where you're like, Man, I just had like three beers and I didn't feel anything and then <laughs> What is like, this oh, a Bush NA? Yeah. Like, what did like, you give me? It, and yeah, that certain places it's just like you don't even know you're drinking a different type of beer <laughs> with less alcohol. All right. Well, we've done being alcoholics. Ready to yep. talk no. some some field talk? No, you're not? No. No. Yeah, we're good. All right. So we can keep talking about it, Bill. <laughs> I just had a farmer tell me yesterday that he got yelled at at a grocery store because he put five cases of the <laughs> in his cart, and they, there was another customer there, and he's like, dude, save some for the rest of us. He's, and he was like, what, five? Like, that's, there's a bunch there. So to- I feel like that's a totally reasonable... Amount. And you all know who the farmer is, so you all know that that's reasonable that he would have five in his cart and probably yep. think that it maybe should be more. Uh, I had a math teacher in high school that I remember like every weekend I'd see him in Don's walking out with a big case of beer. So, oh, get ready for the week. Because it was like clockwork. If I was there on a Friday, I'd see him and he'd have. He was there with his 12 30, uh, 30 pack. 30 no, packs. He would buy the 30 packs. Get him through the week. Yeah, apparently dealing with high school kids was <laughs> that traumatic for him. 
No, hey. Mike, can, can, I mean, yeah. 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 My biggest question is, is there somewhere a keg with like the John Deere logo on it that is going to become a collector's item at some bar? Like, you know how it used to be bar signs and you'd get the specialty ones that limited editions and all that. Like, they're going to start doing that with kegs. Like just, a tapper? Just stamp the John Deere logo on there. Like the bush keg. light. Yeah. It'll be on people's front porches, like yeah. milk, my milk cans. <laughs> and the new the new antique decoration kegs with emblems emblazoned on them. And emblazoned. All right. Let's get talking some field topics. So, Bill, what do you got for us this week? Well, kind of a... We didn't get through all of them last week, so some of these are... Com- a combination of all of ours here, so I don't remember which one of us. The first one is, uh, what is my efficiency loss by bulk spreading versus banding? So I don't remember which, that wasn't mine. I don't remember which That's one, one of mine. Is. Yeah. Yeah, so talking with some guys and um, trying to beat the rain and talking about how much time, much, much more time it takes to refill the planter with fertilizer, some of that kind of stuff, versus if we can just have a buggy come out, bulk spread it, and either work it in or hope the rain comes, which obviously it did. Um, what is my efficiency loss? How much, you know, right now when, when fertilizer is as expensive as it is, we talked about how we want to make sure our fertilizer is as efficient as possible. So I don't know what, what, was your, what would be your answer to that question, Todd. Uh, two by two always the way to go especially in a high fertilizer yep cost scenario we have looking at what the research would show it's somewhere around 15 percent more efficient when you band it but that varies by a lot and type of fertilizer and everything but in general you're you're obviously way more efficient because you can get it to that plant right where it needs right it. the other part i always struggle with is like bulk spreading when the plants are really small as a seedling and have you know, small root system, they're not quite big yet. Think of how more important it is having that feed trough right next to it versus kind of thinning it out over yep. time. Whereas, say, later on when you're wide dropping and you're kind of banding that versus sort of spinning some on later, that's maybe not as big of a deal. There's other reasons why it's important, but that's a different sort of topic. But, no, I, I would say this year you're going to want to take the time, you know, and, like you said, all hopefully most plantings in the ground now and and all that. But it is a good question that when you're in and you got to decide whether you're going to get something in the ground or not, and do you take the time to fill? And it, it, yes, it does. It's going to be worth it to do it. You know, if you're going to do stuff, try to do it right. And it is more efficient to to do that. One a couple things you got to watch is, you know, obviously salt content and different things that you can two by two or band things that could hurt the seed. So you you do want to go up to that safety margin and not not too much but it's always better and more efficient to band now the question that we're going to get this week after all this rain is how much of that is left whether it was banded or <laughs> bulk spread you know which banded you should theoretically have more right sure there. More, it's yep. it more concentrated right it's more, more concentrated one, so less yep. chance of of moving and losing it and all that so so yes even that just being it's more efficient plus it should be more stable right in that form as well all right next up we got what can i do with my leftover starter whose was that 
That's also mine. <laughs> That's so, a good question for this week because there's a lot of guys that like. What do you mean it doesn't just, come out just perfect yeah. when we yeah. order it? Right. Well, the hope is it does, but uh, yeah, it doesn't always. Um, what can I do with my leftover starter? Uh, it dep- to me, this answer can change depending on the year too. Um, because some years, if we haven't sprayed our wheat yet, I think if you have leftover starter, that makes a good addition to your wheat herbicide. Instead of adding 28%, you can just spray some starter out with it. That's got all sorts of good stuff in it. Um, you can really use it anytime you're spraying, as long as you don't have a emerged plant. You could add it into your spray mix as a surfactant or an extra burner. Just like most of the time we use 28 or 32, but this would be the same kind of principle, right? Just... A lower concentration. Um, I don't know what else you guys... Well, and we just got talking about bulk spreading versus banding, right? And so now we're taking a banding-type fertilizer, and we're just going to bulk I, spread it over the top. But the alternative is to what? Let well, it sit there till next year, right? And that isn't good with salting out and just crap in your tank and just whatever. So you want to use it at some point. I mean, if you're going to use... If you were going to put five gallons, twenty eight percent in with all your herbicide, say, why why would you why would you let fifty gallons of starter lay there? Why wouldn't you use that instead for a little while and then, you know, it's maybe my, it's not much, but it's something. My answer, hands down, is like when you're side dressing, put it in, you know, yeah. in your, mix it in with your twenty eight. With your twenty eight, it, it's always better to mix your starter with your twenty eight for that than the other way around. Yes, yes, <laughs> that's our part about keeping it is. When you're putting something like that close to the seed next year, you need you need to know it's that and only that, right, and it's safe, right, and right. it just creates... And hope that you don't forget which tank is which. Right, and, or yeah. the co-op doesn't co-op screw it up. It up yeah. So oh. put it in your manure pit. <sighs> <laughs> Might as well just that, take a $100 bill and just well, throw it right, in the manure pit. It's kind right? of like you say, that'd be almost feel like your weight. At least, like I said, putting it in with the Y-drop or side dressing, just hands down, to me, a good way to, to use it up especially on a field that didn't get manure further away field that you you might need more of those other nutrients to it. It works great. And to some degree, Todd, maybe we should be doing that anyway. Like, you know, we're wide dropping, we're just doing obviously nitrogen, but maybe a little bit of the other nutrients would be good. Who says we can't blend? Like we do some, some guys blend their starter and they do 10 gallons, 28 with whatever XYZ starter from the co-op. Why can't we do that with wide drop too or our, Side dress. Yeah. All right. This next one, I, feel, I have a feeling it's yours, Bill. Yeah. This is a good question. This is a good. So we're about two weeks should go, three weeks. We were spraying some um, alfalfa for, we we're going to fungicide and putting some boron with it. And um, the boron that the farm had was dry. It was dry in bags. It was like, wasn't liquid born, it was dry, which that's not advised. Um, but basically, the sprayer guy mixed up the first load, went about 100 foot, and everything just plugged right tight. So, got out, he's cleaned all his, his uh, screens, mixed it some more, went another 70 feet, and it plugged. So, I guess this one is more like you know, they talk about jar testing, and I don't know if many farmers jar test. How do you like? You've jar tested, like what's how do you do it? What's the easiest? Well, way I mean, to it's do it. In reality, it's kind of mix up your little micro tank, right? Like are you you're, adding water to it? Too, yeah, like and then you're just yeah, like adding just, drops of each thing, right? And just add a percentage of each. 
you know, just see, see what happens. See what happens. And then and shake you, it up and then see if it turns right. to just and you drink it. chunks. Or, yeah, I know. <laughs> I think... And if you don't die, it's good. <laughs> it's okay. And this, maybe we should have seen coming because it was a different... We don't normally use dry boron, right? And But but, but you're right, though. Sold and, uh, well, and, and you just... You just hit it on the head, though, is that's where you would just at least see something coming in that jar test. Because right. you'd go like, well, yeah, this this, this isn't even going to work at all. Yeah. Like, look at this. It's just a bunch of mush in here. Right. And then he he took it out. He spray, He just fought through the tank and got it sprayed out. And then the next load, we just took out the boron yeah, and it went with straight. And it was like... It was fine. It's fine. So Jar tests in general are not a... Like I said, how many guys do them versus versus see especially when you're trying all these new products that we are with higher commodity prices you're trying different things and that's where we're seeing you know stuff thrown in that's screwing up tanks and stuff so yeah i think that's a good point all right next up we've got another one here with b it says got my beans in right before the rain and they didn't get sprayed what are my options what's the temperature well, and I and just, how much rain? Right, uh, how, uh, yeah. Like, and a lot of guys were just going before the rain. I had enough guys to their credit, like we're trying to spray right behind still, yeah. and got yeah. a lot. And co-ops did, and in general, more got sprayed than I thought even would. But been getting this question of, okay, the beans are in. Yeah, it's cold now, but by the time it's dry enough, the beans are probably, probably going to be, be cracking. And it's not even up anymore. You just got to worry about them. Yeah, yep. you know that. You know, is it? sort of bubbling up out of the ground enough that the herbicide well, can get we're going to talk in a minute about GDU's, Todd, about when they all came. And in that week that they all came, the beans were up in six days or whatever. So everybody got kind of nervous around here that, okay, we can't get them sprayed. But then, like, then it cooled down. And since then, it's yeah, been like, like snail. Snail's pace. So, I mean... It kind of depends to like you obviously need to wait. You know what are my options? Well, what's the temperature? If it's cool, you probably likelihood I, maybe is you don't have to change anything. Well, what I would say right now is hopefully Plan A works, where you can do your plan pre-emerge, your Sonic Authority first, Zidua Pro, what you maybe are planning. Plan B would be especially if you've got a product where you're sort of mixing your own, and it's maybe dual and some sort of sulfentrazone, which is authority, and then metribuzin. So maybe you're spraying those three things. Well, just pull out the sulfentrazone and metribuzin, spray your dual yep. early post. Well, and so, so now would be the time to, I guess, talk to your chemical person, talk to your co-op and say, hey, right now, if I can get it sprayed in the next couple of days before they're up, we're good. But if I got to trade out this pre-emerge, what do you have? Do you have? So, so I guess what I would say your options are is dual warrant, so this is for for uh, emerged beans early on the early side. Yep, dual warrant outlook. Bill said Anthemax, um, Anthemax, and then Perpetuo are kind of our Zidua yep. mixed with things. So or straight Zidua, not Zidua Pro. So there is options out there. They're maybe not as good, but they're still not sort of bad options either. They're just different. Yeah. Well, it's options. What your what your goal too is? What kind of weed issues you've got? Because if you're if you're looking at stuff potentially even as hot as it's going to get with moisture 
weeds aren't going to be far behind about doing an early post burn down. You could mix your dual with some other things. Right. You know what you may right, and you and may need to add Roundup yep, to kind of knock you out might be some of that some stuff. But it and we're coming at that time where water hemp's going to be coming soon that you could just sort of hold some of those back to get you to your your next bean pass of your enlist or extend type of pass of what you're doing second. So, uh, like I said, it it's not ideal, but it's still there's there's ways we can sort of still kind of well, get some things. To, in to some ways, obviously, it's not the the exact same program, but in some ways, it's nice to have your pre-emerge a little bit later too, because you're you're going to have more efficacy than you know if you planted beans this year, the end of April. Your pre-merge ran out before the water hemp you're worried about is even thinking about coming out of the ground. So, you know, th- there's don't be negative about it. Just think about the positive things. Is you're at least gonna hopefully stay ahead of the curve a little bit on it. The hardest part this year is just switching out to some of those things. Is the availability of them right. is gonna, most of what we just said is not going to be available. So that's the hardest part. Is just that's why I'm saying have that pl- plan B lined up so that. You you do know what you can switch to because you you're not going to be able to find the first thing you want to find. All right, and as we were discussing beforehand, and uh, you know, I think we're all in the same boat here. Of we've guys have guys that either cut right away this week and tried to harvest before the rain, or now are looking this weekend once things dry out to hit after the rain. Alfalfa timing, why are my scissor clips going up? Todd said last week, we're all going to have to cut right now, and it's going to be good to go. You heard me at the end, though. I said it's going to hold, that the quality (laughs) that we tanked in the heat. and Bill called me on it, I know, because he said, he's like, dude, you said it. It's going to (laughs) like, I said hold. I didn't expect to go up. Like in some of these actually, which I don't know if, do you think it really could go up? That one's a weird, like, are they? Well, did you read the email from our? Local crops extension, agent. correct. Agent. I mean, it it theori- the higher leaf content is the correct. reason. Correct, correct. According no, to we're going to yep. put on way more leaves. And I said, you know, you got higher internode length. Now the top is just packed with leaves. Max said it earlier. Like yeah, the internode length is like a half an inch. It's tiny now. Yeah, it's and the ones just, when it was really hot are like four inches. I was walking alfalfa fields and I was like, "Why something is not right like about this?" Like well, it just looked weird and then I started really paying attention. I was like, "Holy buckets. These might be the shortest internodes I've ever seen and the most leaves I've ever seen in, in like a the top I'm going to say 4 inches is just insane." The the we do tissue samples this time of year a lot and you guys would agree. So you take it's the top 6 inches of the plant. That's all you take and it's unbelievable. When I'm stuffing them in the bags, how that top two inches is just le- just mm-hmm. solid leaves. I mean, and that that is like Max said, it's it's usually actually the opposite because this time of year we usually get hotter right. as we go into Memorial Day, which which we are now. But so it's just yeah, I, I think that part of this, the next part to watch is the next heat up is you can just start to feel a butt on there. So we're going into that uh, from vegetative to reproductive stage. And the cliff is coming that way. That if you have hard extra, yeah. Once that you get the buds, be, you're gonna be. It'd be good. But what's odd is we, I felt more buds than I thought through this. You know that I thought you wouldn't feel a bud at all because it's been so cool. But you can start to feel it now. Well, this week you can, yeah. Right, which surprised me. 
So that's where I thought the, you know, we would see it just sort of hold or go slightly down, not potentially go up um, because of the changes of stage. But I no, classified one field yesterday as bud stage. Bud stage. Yep. So you got your first, yeah. Yep. Yeah, and no flower. Have you guys seen any flowers no, yet? No, 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 no. no too, absolutely I, not. No, so I, I don't I expect to see any except for the guys that always wait till till they, they see a flower. The, yeah. the three crap guys will probably see a flower, but that'll yeah. be everybody else. It's all basically everybody I talked to. It's on like this weekend. Things are just gonna kind of, mm-hmm. which is pretty normal Memorial weekend. You, it's always good when you're on a farm and you and the nutritionist you. agree about when to cut and everything. So it's <laughs> it's a good day. All right. And next, I guess we can move into our spotlight. So there were some of our remaining burning questions that we've been getting. So our spotlight today, a little GDU update for you. So these are as of Thursday, May 26th for the GDUs. There it is. The reggaeton horn. All right, so here in Seymour, where the Tilth World Headquarters is located, we are at 326 GDUs, which is 42 above normal. In comparison to last year, we were at 460 this time of year, so we were 176 above. Only? Only. And in 2020, we were negative 6 on GDUs, so we are... Warmer than 2020, or we have more GDUs, I should say, than 2020, but less than last year's super high numbers. Last year is a last year is a tricky thing because we planted super early and it was cold for a while, yeah. like until like May 10th, and then from May 10th on it was so hot. But like on the small grain cover crops, we got early GDUs last year. That was one of the yep. big differences. April, looking at this chart, I couldn't believe how cool April was this year. It was unbelievably cold, and we'll get to well, it. I could believe it. I lived in it. it was yeah, very cold. no, it was. Uh, yeah, so it's just the way they came this year is different. Yep. I saw the guys busting out the Carhartt vest again this week at a couple farms. Yeah. I was like, man, it's cold. Well, it, it was weird because air temperature wise, you would expect it to be more sweatshirt weather, but with the humidity, it kind of yeah it, it held it a little bit more. Yeah. All right, Sun Prairie. So down toward the Madison area, southern Wisconsin, 2022, they are at 432 GDUs, or 112 above normal. Last year, this time, they were at 574, rocking 254 above normal. And even in 2020, they stayed ahead of the curve. They were at 377 or 57 above normal. So in that area, they've... Maintained for the last three years, kind of a higher than normal GDUs in this period. And then we go north to Cribbits. This year they're at 327, and they are about 79 degrees above normal. So they're right on pace with us, and uh, which is interesting because last year they were on pace or even a little warmer than us last at that time. So. Not what you'd expect when you go north. So they're 79 above normal. For this year, 2021, they were at 441, or 193 GDUs above normal. And then you go back to 2020, they were 191, or 57 below normal. 
So they are experiencing some better than average temperatures the last couple of years here, or better than average gathering of GDUs. So 40% of these GDUs came in six days. So we maxed out between the 10th of May and the 14th of May. Just think of that, though. Like six days we got all of them, yep. basically. Not, well, 40% too, isn't it? It's not necessarily even half, but it's enough. And that, you know, I, I wouldn't necessarily go to the first of the year to start counting that because that we didn't get any GDUs then, but... If you go to... But even still, between March, you know, let's just take March 15th. I, the first day we got GDUs was March 16th yeah. this year. So from that till now, it was 71 days. And only six of so them. Six of them gave us 40% of the yeah. GDUs. Yep. So, and we could see it that week that it, it just stuff grew twice as fast. And it was unbelievable. So when we hit 90s on Memorial Day, we're also going to see that where we just are having these... You know, either it's kind of either all or none on GDUs right now, which but is odd. The last 10 days we've been like sitting there going, man, what is stuff really isn't moving? Well, it's going to move now again. So, with ample moisture. Yes. <laughs> we all have ample moisture now. Yeah, we, we have ample moisture. We have most of our plants in the ground, a good chunk of them up if they got planted in those six days. Uh, because that's all it took for some of this corn was five, six days to get out of the ground, which in May in Wisconsin is not entirely typical. But, uh, yeah, it'll be an interesting year. What, one thing to watch is if you have herbicides that aren't working right or th- certain things that aren't going quite right, that could be a reason why. Is these you know, we're not, not that we're always shooting for averages, but... For the crop to do that is tricky. I mean, it might show a response to certain things you can't believe, or even herbicides that, I mean, a lot of herbicides haven't done anything in the last 10 days. Yep. And they're going to do all their work now, you know, they're activated now, and we'll get heat. So just if it's just going to be different, I want to say. Yeah, no, we're, we've been riding <laughs> the roller coaster like, since yes, last fall. It's the roller coaster. We're kind of yes. just up and down, and, and it is stressful on the plants. You can tell already when we went from those. 80 degree, 90 degree days to this week's you know 60 best what's odd to say too for corn is 90 degree i mean it maxes out at 86 degrees so you might say oh corn loves the heat it does but actually at 90 you're you're stressing that corn out as well and it's this little seedling that's baking in some hot soil potentially that that isn't always great so it's like having your toddler run a 10k (laughs) yeah it's just probably it's It's, not Not that they don't have the energy. Like it seems no. like they should be able to do it just fine. But no, the, the weather is whining the whole time. Though. It's it, it's putting it into perspective of that amount of effort in that amount of time. But but it is almost like we are not. The weather is not allowing the corn to pace itself. It's literally like telling the corn you've got to run a ten k, but you've got to sprint as fast as you can for six days. For six days, and then you got to just stop. It's and it, you can't even, like it wasn't even like walking a little, maybe a little, maybe it's like sprint a, and then coma, and now yeah, we're going right. to sprint. Right. And like, yeah. No, it's like. Coma. I, do you want to describe how the corn's been growing the last. As yellow days? as it looks? Coma. Did you ever do the beer run with us back in the day, Matt? No. We, in Howard Swamico, they used to do beer, the beer belly run. And that's how that It was like you'd sprint to the beer station and then you'd stop. Some guys kept, but you'd kind of just be walking with your beer then. And then, yeah, once that beer was gone, you'd sprint to the next beer stop. That sounds like a sour uh, stomach. They don't do yeah. that. Yeah, it, no, they don't do it anymore. Sounds like a good way to make yourself sick. It, it was it was a lot of fun. Coming out of one end to the other. But, yes, that's what the corn's doing right now. Is just 
It's good to segue, Todd, yes. as we move into our egg history minute. <laughs> All right. Let's do it. I got to get the banjo queued up here. Ah, oh, Todd. I had the reggaeton horn still ready to rock. Still ready to go. Yeah. All right. Our egg history minute today. We're going to talk the history of beer. So a research team led by Li Liu, a professor of Chinese archaeology at Stanford, has found evidence of the earliest brewmasters to date, a finding that might stir an old debate which came first, to beer or bread, or beer bread. To beer. So in a cave in what is now Israel, the team found beer brewing innovations that they believe predate the earliest appearance, or the early appearance of cultivated cereals in the Near East by several millennia. Their findings, published in the Journey of uh, Journey yeah, Journal of Archaeological Science, support a hypothesis proposed by archaeologists more than 60 years ago that beer may have been a motivating factor for the original domestication of cereals in some areas. Evidence suggests that thousands of years ago, the Natufian people, a group of hunter-gatherers in the eastern Mediterranean, were quite the beer connoisseurs. Liu and her research team analyzed residues from 13,000-year-old stone mortars found in the cave, which was a graveyard site located near what is now Haifa, Israel, and discovered evidence of an extensive beer brewing operation. This accounts for the oldest record of man-made alcohol in the world, according to Liu. So, I think they're making bush light. <laughs> I mean, it makes sense. That area is pretty close to the breadbasket where they would have cultivated and developed cereals. So, so Yes. We're bush light it is. We're getting too drunk. We need to make this stuff. Like, let's grind it up, make it into bread so we get something to fill our stomach so we don't get so drunk so fast and the beer lasts a little longer. You do hear stories like not this far back, but like even like the medieval times where they drank more beer and wine because it was safer than drinking the water. Right. Yeah. Because it was because it was went through processes of boiling and fermentation, and that's what they had for processes at that point. We could just boil the water, or we could boil it and make it taste really awesome. And and get some. They probably thought it was healthier too. Like, ah, we're steeping grain. It's like chock full of vitamins and minerals, man. Grain tea in my water. And plus, it makes me feel good. So my grandpa always told me that about beer. It's chock full of vitamins and minerals. <laughs> so there you go. All right, thanks, Matt, and thanks to all our listeners. Please tell a farmer friend about our podcast. Tell them to subscribe to the podcast. They can go on Apple Podcasts on their Apple iPhone and search Tilt Talk Radio. And on Android, you can download apps like Podcast Addict, Podbean, and Player FM, and search search. Uh, Tilt Talk Radio on those. You can also listen on your smartphone browser. Go to tiltegg.com slash podcasts. We're now available on Amazon Music. So you can go there, like our podcast on Amazon Music, and your smart speaker can play us like your Amazon Alexa smart speaker. And on Facebook and Twitter, follow us at Tilt Talk Radio. All right. Now we'll wrap things up here with some cool beans. That's corny. So cool beans, cool beans, cool beans, cool beans, cool beans. Our cool beans this week. CRP contract termination to offset global food crisis gains USDA's approval. So on Thursday, USDA announced it will offer voluntary CRP contract termination to participants who are in their final year of that contract. 
to help producers make informed decisions about land use and conservation options amid Russia's invasion of Ukraine and other factors. So you can take that stuff out of CRP and grow crap on it, though. This is kind of a like a double-edged sword, though. If it was in CRP, it's probably a reason that it, yeah. was, it was in CRP, so it's probably not going to be the most productive ground. I, was, I saw a bunch of tweets about this. Uh, it must have been Thursday night. And uh, the one... The one thing I did notice is there's a quite a few people who said they were going to terminate their contracts, but they were going to leave the CRP areas as like a grass buffer. It's just now they could harvest grass off it once a year, twice right. a year. They they said it still isn't worth putting corn and beans in there, but right. they're glad their contract is over so they don't have to follow every rule. Yeah, well, and if you can do that and you know transfer ground you would have had to use for forage into and it's productive into corn and beans, then you can use that as a way to... I appreciate the awareness that not every acre is a corn and bean acre. Right. I, no, it, that's absolutely. A, that's a conversation that sometimes guys don't want to hear, but it's the truth. There's some things that we probably just need to let it go. That's why you should always go through your your budget and look at what acres are productive and what acres are not, because the amount you spend on inputs and seed... Even when prices are as high as they are now, some some acres just don't make sense all the time. The the one thing to say with this too is not letting any acre out. It, these acres were set to expire, right? And the way it looked is so that like I signed these, up for CRP last year, I, right? Now I can take it off. And a lot of these farmers weren't going to re-enroll anyway, so they're kind of basically just letting them out early, yeah, out of the contract, which is which makes sense. I mean, that's at least they have the forethought to say like, well, yeah, if these are coming out anyway, and and maybe they can do things like harvest the grass hay off of them or something, that'd be a good thing. I think this is why we're seeing harvestable buffers is more of a becoming more popular as opposed to, you know, something I might might have put into CRP, but now I, if I put it as a harvestable buffer, at least I can take something. Could, could you convert to organic with CRP easily? Obviously, they I, haven't. I don't know. But I was just thinking about that. Like, if anybody will... I wouldn't see why not. I mean, use that it as meets the, the criteria of... I've never done it and what's hard is when it comes out usually right you get trees herbicides are kind of a good tool to help but yeah i just will be interesting like what what some of the people do with these acres like you said max i think it is a good option to to harvest harvest a crop off them potentially and just i crp is tricky because i've been on depending how it was managed crp can be very different yeah um, oh yeah because you're, you're not supposed to have trees on it but some of them will have little saplings coming and other right, ones are you can't <laughs> you can't manage it quite the same either and yeah, you're supposed to mow it right though. I, I like i said i don't know all the rules on crp but i've just been in crp as it comes out and is wildly different at times yeah. where it's stuff where it's just like and i've been on certain acres where they're not bad acres either so maybe trying to learn you know why that field was put in when it was and if if it is a good corn and bean candidate or not, and like you say, most of them are not, but right. some have potential. No, usually, if it's in CRP, there's a reason you signed it up for CRP, and it wasn't because it was your highest yielding field. All right, our right, that's corny this week. Wheat scab is becoming more of a concern in saturated North Dakota. So some wheat-growing areas of the upper Midwest are saturated. I know certain areas in Wisconsin got upwards of three to four inches this week, so uh, prompting concerns about disease pressure. 
Dan Mellis covers Central and Western North Dakota for BASF, and he has said their heavy snow and frequent rains have caused a lot of moisture. Conditions now, we have a lot of wheat going into the ground. We've got more... How old is this article? It's it's new. That's yeah. What's odd. Yeah, this sounds like planting wheat, but more. I th- would think the more spring moisture would be. Yeah, articles from yesterday. Interesting. Recommends the use of a fungicide when the crop is heading. I think that's pretty close, as close to an automatic as you know we, we do on wheat. A lot of times, it usually pays off to have fungicide near heading, um, but this year, especially due to the potential for that moisture to lead to more disease. So if you've got vomitoxin levels, um, you're going to get docked at the elevator potentially after harvest, so it's a good insurance against that. Especially this is a great one to talk about as head, I, I saw my first wheat field heading out this week. It wasn't any of ours, but Ooh. I was, yeah, like it was like the neighborhood that it was happening. I got like three phone calls, like <laughs> this wheat's heading, like what do we do? And, and so I checked their fields and they're going to head, head pot- potentially next week. You know, I think you could start seeing some heads pop out on certain wheat fields. And then, but yeah, it's conversation for the next, you know, that sort of June 1st to June 15th and really watch this is one of those where you want to get that timing is critical to get it, you know, when you start to see pollination and it's flowering. What is the what is you, the term that we're looking for, Todd? It's a word. Anthesis. Anthesis. Yes, anthesis. Say the big word. That's what people are here for. That's Say the big word. They want to hear big word. Yeah. Say the big word. <laughs> I don't think they're here for anthesis. So a great article to talk about, like the current weather shows, like, yeah, you you probably do want to get that lined up. And, and ready to, to put that on. So and, and Matt's right, this is about as automatic as we get on certain fungicides is, is this one because it can help in yield, which is good, but you don't want to get docked at the elevator for anything, and this one will potentially get you docked at the elevator. So It's happened before. It will happen again. All right, so there you go. That'll do it for this week. Thanks for being here, guys. Thanks for having us, Matt. So this week we talked about some more burning questions from the field. In our spotlight, we looked at where the GDUs are at for this year. Egg History Minute, we talked about the history of beer. And our, at the end here, we wrapped up with Cool Beans, which was CRP contract termination to offset global food crisis. It was approved by the USDA. If you're in the last year of your CRP contract, you can apply to pull that ground out. And our That's Corny is due to some heavy moisture in areas. Wheat scab is a definite concern in your winter wheat crop. So thanks for listening. And as always, happy farming.